If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is the first time tuning into our show, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I hope everyone's having a great week. I hope everyone's um, enjoying whatever climate you're in, because in the Midwest, it surprises us every day. It could be 70 and the next day 13. So it's kind of crazy out there. Um, As I uh, mentioned uh, last week, we're definitely finding ourselves in very unique times. Today, we're going to talk about more of the cyber threats from Russia, talking about the governments and the intelligent agencies around the world. Of course, this is all stemming from the escalation of Russia's invasion on Ukraine. Again, I want to send um, a big shout out that our hearts totally go out to all the Ukrainians for their peace and their safety. Um, We've always discussed this on the show, the risk of nation state attackers. And last week I had two guests. Um, Last Friday I had two guests. We talked about this topic. I had Randy Potts, who's the CISO of RTR, and I had Patrick Benoit, who's the VP and uh, uh, Business Information Security Officer from CBRE. We spent an hour discussing their views and insights of are we ready for what's next and what is going to happen if we do have a big nation state attack. Today, my guest, he has joined us a few times in the past, and this is a very, very passionate topic for him. We will continue the conversation about the nation state attacks and his insight on all of this. I encourage anyone out there that is on LinkedIn Live, please post your questions and inputs in the chat box. This is a very... um, interesting topic, very scary topic, and we would love to have your input. Today, I have Matthew Runquist. He's the uh, CISO for Eclipse. Formerly, he um, was from Intel Corp. He's a cybersecurity strategist, uh, keynote speaker. He just um, posted something out there that said, uh, out on his LinkedIn, he said, buckle up as I think the real hashtag cyber war begins ramping in the earnest this week against the Western Alliance who are putting in place sanctions on Russia due to the Ukraine war. So let's welcome my guest today, Matthew. Hey, Matthew. Hello. Pleasure to be here again and talking with you, Kim. Yeah, thank you. You were the first one that popped into my mind when all this uh, started ramping up. We were actually it was we were actually out in Los Angeles um, last week, I guess, or two weeks ago, the day that things started happening. We were running our cybersecurity event. And so I kind of waited that whole day. It was just sad. Even it, it's it's sad to think it's been two weeks that everything's happened so fast, almost two weeks. It, it has moved so fast. Um, and, you know, we, we predicted that this was going to come to fruition, sadly. But, you know, the events that we're seeing unfolding are unprecedented, this this war of choice and, and the victims there in Ukraine. And it isn't just limited to Ukraine. This is a global issue. And, you know, I, we're all connected to this digital fabric and the predictions that we've made, that the experts have made, I think they're going to start coming to fruition um, and impacting all of us. 
as we're going to see cyber attacks come in. So I know you just put out your 2022 predictions. Um, so tell me, cause it, it, I, and I highly recommend that everyone go to Matthew's LinkedIn cause he has it, um, go to his profile. He has it right there where you can download it. And Matthew has what, 190,000 followers on LinkedIn. And so that didn't just happen because, um, he's popular. <laughs> so he, he's been a blogger for a long time, a, you know, very, um, a, you know, a very insightful person in the community. So I look forward to, you know, discussing this, but in those predictions were, what were some of the predictions that tied in with nation to state attackers? Well, with those predictions was, you know, we're going to see an uptick in nation state attacks and more specifically, we're going to see critical infrastructure be targeted. And as the, the, the war in Ukraine is unfolding, those predictions are absolutely coming true and will be amplified even. In fact, when we think of kind of the, the key messages that we need to think about as technologists or digital citizens out there or uh, people who are running or part of organizations and companies, we know cyber attacks are going to be coming, and we'll, we'll dive into that in, in a few minutes, what that really means and why we haven't seen it so far. Number two, critical infrastructure are going to be the primary targets. There's going to be other revenge targets as well, uh, so we're going to have to worry about that. But our critical infrastructure, think about our power, logistics, communication, healthcare, finance, all those those are right in, in, in the middle of the crosshairs. So we have to worry about that. And the third thing is we know, and we've already seen some of this, but there is media warfare to control the narrative that is going to increase. We've already seen it. We've already seen some false narratives, a lot of false narratives leading up to the invasion. And we're seeing even more now trying to gain traction. So we're all going to see that in all of our social media feeds. And there is a battle for our attention and our perspectives uh, all over the world to either condemn or justify the actions. So we're going to see these three big things um, in the coming weeks. Are you surprised that, and, and there probably have, I know there's attacks that happen every day. But are you surprised that we're two weeks in and we haven't seen more or heard more? And I know you you have better intel than most of us, but um, are you surprised that more hasn't happened yet? Or do you think it's a slow progress? Because I feel like Russia kind of slowly started. They started out slow with Ukraine and now they're hitting hard. Actually, I think they're they're right on track from what we predicted. Now, you know, some people feared, you know, this hybrid war and a hybrid war refers to the combination of cyber attacks and the military kinetic attacks and those working in unison against Ukraine. But the reality is many of the security professionals, my, myself included, have seen the attacks over the past decade or more against Ukraine, against Europe, uh, Eastern European countries like Estonia, and they've responded right? When Ukraine had their power taken out because of cyber attacks, they moved to a more analog model. They disconnected critical systems from the internet and put in some, some secondary controls. So 
we knew a lot of Ukraine's critical infrastructure wasn't as susceptible to cyber attacks. And the reality is once you start the kinetic warfare, cyber attacks and that hybrid attack really don't mean much. They don't get you much traction, right? Uh, you know, taking out the, the hospital network really doesn't matter when you've shelled it to dust. So, you know, once the, the, the fighting is really started in earnest and the shelling and the, the secondary and tertiary kind of damage, physical damage occurs, you're not really too worried about the cyber attacks in Ukraine. Now, when we look at the Western nations that are coming together in an unprecedented way and instituting sanctions like the world has never seen, we, we are exposed. Um, we've Over the past couple of decades, we've tried to get better, but there are a lot of soft targets in the Western countries and that's where we are really expecting attacks to manifest. So going back to the Estonia attack, you know, um, for our viewers that are listening in and some of them aren't as, um, you know, they're, they're not as educated on cybersecurity. That's why they tune into the show. Can you do a recap of what happened with Estonia and why that was such a major attack for them? Yeah, with Estonia, it was it was kind of a watershed moment where their entire banking system was hacked and, and crashed and taken down because of some weak points and single points of failure and whatnot. But it really put the financial system in Estonia and the people there, um, you know, who, who needed to buy things and get cash from ATMs, kind of put them out in the cold. And they weren't able to do that for an extended period of time. So the world kind of stepped back and took a look and go, wow, if they can do that to Estonia, um, can they do that to us? Can they do it on a large scale? Not taking out a couple ATMs or a single bank or a single network, but truly caving in the financial capabilities for everyday people and businesses to conduct transactions and get access to their assets. And it took a while for Estonia to, to get everything back up and running. But, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those pivotal moments that we realized, yeah, critical infrastructure, whether it be finance or water purification or food, transportation, logistics, whatever, they can be attacked and have a pretty big impact. So why do you think that we haven't seen that? Well, first of all, it kind of, it made me think, what are the Ukrainians? I wonder if they've been able to get a hold of their assets. And why do you think that their whole um, infrastructure, as far as the Internet and their communication infrastructure, hasn't been taken down? Well, first off, um, Ukraine is not a backwards nation. They have an incredible amount of ingenuity and intellect. They're very savvy when it comes to technology, specifically communications and internet. There's a lot of companies that are run out of Ukraine. So they've got a tremendous talent pool when it comes to things like this. And they're used to conflict. They're used to dealing and finding workarounds and adapting. And right now they're highly motivated. So there have been attacks against media, whether it be radio or TV or internet, we have seen some of those things taken down and then almost immediately brought back up. Um, 
because of that, they understand that they're always under attack. It means they've put in place resistance and kind of defense in depth, where even if you take some of it out, the rest is going to compensate. So they have done a great job in keeping those communications open, and they're also getting help from the West. We're seeing a tremendous number of companies come in and help them, even if they're providing security services or extra internet services or more communications. Um, you know, Elon Musk just sent over a whole bunch of satellite dishes for his space-based network, internet network. And, you know, that's huge, especially when the terrestrial, um, you know, connections get lost or destroyed. Unfortunately, there's still, you know, some cities that are being besieged where they have lost connectivity and they haven't been able to restore it. But in many of the big areas, they still have connectivity, probably to the dislike of the occupying force because they're able to capture video and share it. They're able to share news. They're able to get out their personal stories in a way that is really tough to say that it's not real or to say that it's fake. Um, and that's playing in. That's playing into a lot of political things. It's playing into the narratives. It's playing into potential war crimes investigations. So I'm sure Russia does not like the freedom of communication that's still available in Ukraine uh, as compared to the control that they have of the media and the messages and the narrative within their own country, which they greatly limit. Yeah, and that that being so with Russia as well, um, you know, I it, it's, yeah, here, here's a question. So right the weekend that that happened, you know, I had the news on all weekend. Doesn't really matter what news station I was watching because I'm, it's a, you know, when you're watching your news stations or whatever station you watch, it seems to me, and I may be wrong because I, I've toned it down, you know, we can't sit and watch news all day because we have to work. But it seems like the first weekend there was so much talking about cybersecurity, and I haven't heard as much about the cybersecurity attacks on, you know, with what's going on. And again, you know, when, when you look at the news cycles, the stories on cybersecurity really, unless they're a, a huge impact, they're not going to be able to compete when you're seeing tanks and rocket launchers and planes and so forth on the screen and, and people injured and, and destruction. There have been attacks, though. We have seen denial of service attacks. We have seen wiper-based attacks. We have seen some of the um, criminal groups and cyber mercenary groups come on the scene and start to work. But they've also had a problem. Um, it's very, very interesting because we haven't really seen this before. Russia has its own technology groups that will conduct hacking, right? Uh, just as all major nation states have. But they also use cyber mercenaries, so they'll pay uh, mercenaries to, to go attack things. And that keeps a, an arm's reach. And they will use affiliated parties as well um, that maybe are pro-Russia or pro-government to also conduct attacks. And these types of attacks, ransomware, for example, and it's not the only one, denial of service, ransomware, hacking, there's all sorts of different things. But, you know, we've seen a very prominent hacking group, um, the Conti group, which specializes in ransomware and targeting the West, uh, they came out uh, very early and said, hey, they absolutely support Russia. Well, as it turns out, people on the inside of that group didn't all believe that. 
And we've seen leaks come out of that. One from a security researcher who uh, leaked all a, a bunch of their internal communications, which gave us great insights to how the organization is funded and ran and who's doing what and its connections to the Russian GRU um, and how they negotiate and, you know, what they do in response when, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement comes sniffing around. Great insights to that. So there's dissension in the ranks in some of these groups. And now Russia has to worry about that because they do not want attribution of these actions coming back and painting a picture that they were behind it or they funded it. And that's also another reason that we're not seeing this flood of attacks because they're concerned. The morale of those people um, doing the attacks, they're putting countries and people's lives above the dollars that they may earn from the Russian government in doing these acts. And that's something that I don't think they accounted for. They thought a criminal is a criminal. And if we pay them money, they'll just do whatever we ask and attack whoever we ask. They now have to worry about their own internal problems. These big organized hacking groups. It's very interesting. <laughs> and we're the good guys are getting a great amount of insight in it intelligence about these different hacking groups because information is being released or they're simply not attacking. It's fantastic. So going back to your top 10 cybersecurity predictions of mm -hmm. 2022, you know, you wrote this prior to all this chaos that's going on in our world right now. And the number one was critical infrastructure is the prime target. So when you put these predictions, I, I imagine it's globally, you're predicting this globally. Yep. Um, a, are we ready for it? And, you know, what, where are some weaknesses that lie in some other countries that should be worried? Okay. So th this is a big onion. Let's take it in a few mm -hmm. layers. First off, let's kind of define what that critical infrastructure is. Critical infrastructure in the United States and different governments define it a little bit differently. But basically, it's all those things that us citizens need and use every day. Critical infrastructure puts food on the shelves in the store. Critical infrastructure provides your power, your water, your sanitation, the electricity, uh, the heating oil, right? The fuel for your cars. It provides for emergency services. So you can call 911 or whatever the number is in your country and get police or fire or medical services. It provides health care, right? Emergency rooms and hospitals, all those things that and many times we take for granted. Um, those are the critical infrastructure elements that are being targeted and will be targeted. They have been targeted in the past. Uh, we've seen nation states, including who we believed, almost 100% sure was Russia, was um, going into these different types of utilities and services and companies and seeing if they could get in, trying to put back doors in, but not necessarily doing any harm. It's going in and setting up for a future date, right, uh, which is very concerning. But it's events like this where you activate those resources. And we've seen this over the past couple of decades. We have seen attacks against some critical infrastructure around the world. But again, there is there's a certain level of mutually assured destruction on a digital scale. Uh, the United States has the same capabilities of doing things like this and has conducted offensive operations. And I am certain 
that uh, my colleagues in the intelligence organization and you know around the world have communicated to their counterparts in Russia to say, hey, if you come after us, we can cause damage and come after you too. And so there's been tension in that system. But now all the bets are off, right? And they know that if you really want to make Americans uncomfortable, you take away their critical infrastructure. You turn the power out. You take out their internet. You you know limit the fuel supply. Um, you make it to where the hospitals don't function. All those kinds of things. Um, they can't drink their tap water. Things of that sort. Okay, so that's the critical infrastructure that's the target. We've known it's been targeted for a long time and could be targeted. There has been lots of effort in these different areas, not equally but lots of effort to make them more robust, better protected, and have the ability to recover faster than previously. Um, the two sectors I would say that are probably the best, finance sector, because it's always being attacked, right? The attackers always go where the money, money is anyway. So the finance sector spends more than any other sector on cybersecurity and has for decades they are the most robust. And actually, we're seeing right now, we're seeing attacks against the financial institutions of the West, probably because of the sanctions and everything else around Ukraine, but they're holding up, right? They're able to absorb and protect against a lot of that. We're not seeing major outages right now, even with some of the attacks going on. So that's good news. Um, the other one I would say that has actually improved significantly is the power grids. The nation is broken up into several different sectors for power grids, but it was known that they were very fragile. And even attacking a small part of it could bring the entire thing down. Um, that has changed over the last six to 10 years. And significant investments have been put in place to be able to manage those. Those investments also help during natural disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that. So it's not just for cyber attackers, but it's made great improvements. Now it's not bulletproof, but it has made great, great improvements. For the other sectors, they have not come as far. So if you look at um, sanitation or water purification, the water you drink out of your taps that's provided by municipalities, we've seen a lot of very simple attacks uh, be successful uh, not necessarily by nation states, but just regular little hackers be successful against those environments because they have not invested in cybersecurity. They don't even know their blind spots. They're still using default passwords. You know, even some of the basic care and feeding from a cybersecurity perspective aren't there. They're getting better. They know there's a problem, but unless it's prioritized and there's funding for it, it's really tough to address it. Those become some of the weaker spots. Uh, transportation is, is generally doing good. It can recover fast, uh, whether it be airlines or trains or, or something like that. Uh, shipping has been investing because they've been seeing some attacks. Um, so they're getting better. But again, overall, there's still a lot of targets of opportunity that advanced hackers, when they're organized and not, you know, uh, undermining themselves, that they could go after. That's what we're expecting from the Russian <clears throat> counterparts 
and those organizations who may support Russia. And it could be other nation states as well. So um, we talked about that last week on my show. And we were talking about how, you know, the the attackers are probably going to go for the small guys right now that are kind of the meat and potato, like, like the box maker. You know, we use an example of that. If the box maker, if his company gets shut down, are we going to have a shortage of boxes? And then now we have issues with shipping and, you know, it, it could be anything. So I'm sure that those smaller attacks are definitely happening. We're just not hearing about them because they're not big enough for us to hear about. Um, so how, what would your recommendation be for those smaller to mid-sized companies to protect themselves during these times? Well, I think small and mid-sized companies are, are important and they're the backbone of our industry. Uh, I would look actually towards their suppliers. Uh, nation states, given what they're trying to accomplish right now, what Russia would try and accomplish, taking out the mom and pop store on the corner probably isn't part of their agenda. Taking out that single box manufacturer probably isn't part of their agenda. However, they may be targeting supply chains that help those mom and pop stores. Think about the cloud services that they use. Think about the accounting services that they use. Maybe their um, their IT vendor, right? It's it's uh, you know it's a third party uh, vendor that that handles IT for them and their environment. If they attack those, then they impact everything downstream. It becomes a, a waterfall effect. And so, you know, if you're a small or medium organization, unless you're directly contributing or unless you've uh, specifically announced that, that you're taking actions of withdrawing from Russia or something, uh, more than likely, you probably need to focus on the normal basics, right, uh, from widespread attack, which you should already be doing. And also looking at your supply chain, looking at your vendors that help keep your business up and running. Because if they're taking out, again, that cascade effect, and you may be caught up in that big net of a lot of organizations that then suffer because your internet provider goes out or your cloud hosting goes out or your, you know, your uh, IT outsourced provider gets hacked and compromised, something of that sort. Now, you know, the small and medium are important, but if we look at the threat agent, I would say more than likely they're going to go after the bigger players as part of critical infrastructure. Why? They want to make noise. They want to show and put pressure on these governments that are putting pressure on them, kind of tit for tat. So uh, we would expect that to happen, to be able to showcase Okay, you just announced the, you, you know, U.S. just recently announced that we're going to be boycotting Russian oil. That's big. And especially if the U.S. can then convince other countries and EU countries and so forth to do the same, whether it be immediately over time, that's a big impact. The Russian cyber attackers are probably going, okay, make them feel pain. Every time they announce something big, make them feel pain. Make their power go out make their gas supplies and their refineries shut down, right? Again, they want to be able to show that even if we decide something, we can still be greatly impacted more than just the price of the pump. Yeah, and there, there's certainly 
countries around them that say, for instance, Germany, you know, that, that solely relies on their fuel from them. So, um, yeah. EU, 40% of the EU relies upon the natural gas coming from Eastern Europe. Um, so, I mean, that's a big chunk. And some countries uh, like Italy, for example, that's all, all of their natural gas comes from, comes from, uh, Eastern Europe. So, you know, it's tough, but the hackers are going to be given orders that we want to impact serious consequences to those that are impacting serious consequences to Russia. That's what we would expect in a conflict. And given the attackers and the mentality of them, that's completely reasonable. The other thing is the attackers on the Russian side, uh, how do I say this? They're kind of vindictive. They really are. And we've seen a lot of big companies come out publicly and say they're either limiting their company in Russia and Belarus or they're stopping services. I would expect every company that does that, their name just got added to an attack list. And that list will probably be distributed to the uh, cyber hacking resources at the disposal of Russia and say, hack these companies and you'll get paid, you'll get a reward, so on and so forth. Make it painful for them uh, to show them that's a bad business choice and there are consequences. Well, that'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting to see the fallout of that because we definitely see um, many of the companies that are boycotting services from Russia. So um, never really thought about it that way, which kind of goes into number two, talking about cyber criminals are targeted by governments and, but adapt and thrive. So tell us what that means, because that's your number two prediction, which again is in alignment with what we're talking about right now and how are, you know, what's happening in Russia, you know, are they having attacks and, you know, what do we know about that? Well, it's kind of interesting because you've got cyber resources on both sides, right? Government sponsored ones that are kind of going at it. You also have independent groups and there are, again, Ukraine has a lot of very savvy, technically oriented people and they are taking up arms and in a digital way, in addition to the physical way, but in a digital way as well, and attacking uh, Belarus, right, which is where a lot of troops were staged and took down their train system and did all sorts of things. They're attacking Russia. They're defacing web pages. Uh, they're going and they're stealing information. They outed um, you know, over 100,000 names and addresses of Russian troops, right? They were able to capture that kind of data. So they're attacking as well. Now, these aren't necessarily what we'd classify as cyber criminals because the, the way that's defined as a cyber criminal is um, uh, motivated by personal financial gain, right? These are more cyber warriors where they're doing it because of nationalistic reasons, um, you know, they're behind one country or another, and they want to either protect or promote uh, power projection for them. So we're seeing attacks all over the place, and I think that's just going to increase. But when we talk specifically about the cyber criminals, right, those that are seeking personal gain, think about the ones that are doing denial of service for ransom or ransomware, or things of that sort. Um, we are seeing governments target them more. Uh, especially Western governments, 
and the tools around that are getting better. So we're going to see a few takedowns, and we have. Now, that's going to be a little bit put on the back burner because we're really now going to have to protect our, our um, critical infrastructure. But law enforcement has been making great strides in their tools, their processes, their cross-border coordination to target criminal organizations and try and take them down, right? Their infrastructure or even their people in sometimes. And we're going to see more of that. However, and we saw it towards the end of last year and, and definitely in the beginning parts of this year. So there were some great wins. However, um, attackers, especially organized cyber criminals, they're not afraid, right? Being taken down or arrested, that's just an occupational hazard to professionals. Nothing really to be, you know, too worried about. You simply respond. You get better. And we saw a decrease in some of the ransomware attacks. Well, let me let me clarify that. The rate of increase started to wane uh, for ransomware attacks, for example, because they were reorganizing. They were putting better security features into their tools, into their infrastructure, looking at how we need to close up gaps, potentially um, you know, have either insiders or spies or, or covert agents in our environment. Uh, and even the Conti text messages, we start seeing that where they started letting go huge groups of people saying, ah, probably in here is a government person that's giving information. Just fire them all, hire new ones, right? So again, we're going to see the cyber criminals adapt to the law enforcement that's coming after them. And I think by probably Q3, Q4, we're going to see that uptick again in ransomware and things of that sort because they will have adapted to the techniques that the law enforcement have gotten so good at. And then it will be time for the law enforcement to adapt again to get back some of those gains. It's just a crazy cat and mouse chase, huh? <laughs> it know? always is. It, it always is. Whether you, know, you look at counterfeiting or theft or fraud or embezzlement, it's, it's always a cat and mouse game. Right. So yes, yes. And, and I like that I've pulled these predictions because it's so interesting that, again, they're just aligning. I mean, you had no idea that this was going to happen. But before I go into number three, um, I, I'm glad that one of our listeners out there um, chimed in because usually what happens, our listeners start chiming in about five minutes before the close <laughs> of the show, and I can't get everyone in there. And um, I have Kyle Cravens who said... Uh, non-techie questions here in addition to hardening it it every time she puts that up on the screen you guys can see it nice and big and i'm reading teeny tiny letters just so <laughs> you know because i noticed i squint when i'm doing this so back to kyle he said non-techie questions here in addition to hardening critical infrastructure should individuals begin to think extra cash on hand solar power satellites back up internet, et cetera, question mark. Also, how will this impact talent market and cybersecurity? If every company realizes security is a frontline issue at the same time, that creates a major demand crunch, right? I'm assuming particularly with offensive and pen tests. Okay, so let's break this up. The first part of it is, you know, should you be running to the ATM and pulling out cash and buying a generator and installing solar panels? Um, that's a personal choice. Uh, you know, I'm a strategist. 
I look at this stuff, the general consensus is always have a disaster plan, whether it's because of hurricanes or cyber war or what, always have a plan. And there's some good guides out there for some basics that everybody can do. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's an earthquake or a tornado or a hurricane or tsunami, but have a plan um, specific to, to the context of the threat that you're worried about. Um, the United States in general has a lot of resources and even attacks against our critical infrastructure. Hopefully those could be recovered relatively quickly. Uh, we also have a very diverse set of capabilities and different options. So there isn't just one bank in or and one banking network, right? There are many. So we've got a, a lot of res, uh, resiliency that are in place, but it can take time for those to activate and actually come to fruition. And we've seen that in major disasters, right? The hurricane that hit the East Coast not that long ago, well, it was, you know, a couple of years ago, um, knocked out power and created problems. And it got down to the wire um, where they started thinking we may need to evacuate the city because we won't get power up in time. And again, the innovation of Americans cannot be, you know, uh, um, counted out because people step up and they were able to get the power back on and hospitals and, and care facilities were able to get up. So don't panic, panic, but have a plan and be reasonable. Uh, the second part of the question is, yes, cybersecurity, it was important before this. It's even more important now. And there's a lot of open positions already, a lot of headhunters out there trying to get people to move and shift. The industry and the value of the industry is becoming more recognized, therefore more relevant. It was already relevant, but if you didn't have recognition for the relevance, it's, it's tough to justify. When we see more of these attacks and we see more of this uh, concern, then yes, they know they need more resources and that's going to drive probably the compensation. Uh, hopefully it opens up a lot more intern and, and, and uh, entry level positions. Pen testing, yes. Offensive attacks, yes. But really across the spectrum. Because imagine in your mind, if you're... Microsoft or AMD or Intel or or you know McDonald's just announced that they're they're you know leaving Russia and shutting down whatever company Shell Exxon BP whatever right when you sit down and and you're at the executive table and you're thinking hey we're going to make an announcement that we're going to withdraw from Russia the next thought in your mind is wow they're not going to be happy with us and the very thought after that is, what are they going to do? And on that table is, they may attack us from a cyber perspective. And that CISO needs to be in the room. And again, that CISO is going to go, hey, you know, we've, we've got good regular controls potentially, but you just, you're upping the risk, <laughs> right? This is a business decision. I may completely support it, but the risk now goes up. I now need equitable resources to help combat that risk if you want to keep us at that same level, right? So yes, more money, more funding, more concern, more visibility, more operations, uh, more worries about uh, identifying vulnerabilities in their products and services and in their infrastructure, better capabilities to be able to respond to crises. Yes, all of it across the board will be needed.
not just the offensive and pen testing people, which props to, 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 to that segment. Um, you're hugely valuable, but it's the entire community and capability across all aspects of cybersecurity that the demand is going to go up for. I love your statement after you were talking about your first um, prediction, the cyber attacks are not everyone's problem. We, um, when, when FutureCon started, I might have to steal that phrase because we used to say IT is everyone's problem. Well, IT is not everyone's problem anymore. Cyber attacks are really everyone's problem. And uh, yeah, you know, kudos to the pen tester, but the pen tester is only as good as the rest of the people above them, you know? So, yeah. or next to them, right? If we're all part of the same team and it doesn't matter, even if you're in competing companies or industries, it's the good guys that are trying to defend everything against the attackers. So I have, I, I never have had any compunction against, you know, working with uh, my peers at, at competing companies or industries or anything like that, because it's always been, we have to work together. We have to communicate and collaborate. And that is the only way that we even stand a chance at maintaining parity with the advances uh, and the advantages that the attackers have. And we have to continue that. This is not a time for us to be fractured. It's not a time for us to, you know, uh, hog resources or or do things or, or, or it's a time that we really need to come together from a cybersecurity industry to work together and to get better because the attacks are coming. I expect by the end of this week, we're going to see some attacks. They're going to be, they, by the end of this week, they should have been able to rally the resources they need to start doing some more serious cyber attacks. And they're going to target the West. By that time, we're going to realize, yeah, we, we need everybody on board and everybody focused and everybody working together. Um, CISA has, has been doing a great job here in the U.S., um, and other nations as well, trying to get that public-private collaboration together, this will reinforce that um, and temper it to a certain extent and hopefully make that better so that we are all working together, government and uh, the, the private companies out there, because we have to. We absolutely have to. Well, I definitely can see where Kyle Cravings is coming from when he's asking, should we have resources? Because right when you were talking, I'm like, when I get done, I better go stock up on my water. I know I have wood outside. You know, I know I have gas. Toilet tanks. paper, toilet paper. <laughs> toilet uh, paper. Crisis, three things are always bought. Toilet paper, bottled water and gasoline. Those are the three things that people first think of. Well, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm just being inv impacted by New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> it's oh, no. it's hard to find. <laughs> so. Hey, we all have our battles we have to fight and we all have our priorities. There's no judgment here. There's no judgment. <laughs> so when you say that at the end of the week, we're going to start seeing some things. Um, you know, you're saying that, you know, ransomware is on the, it's kind of gone down. You, you mentioned it in your number three. Um but you think that's gone down a bit. You think it's going to be more critical infrastructure that we're going to start seeing some. Well, it may be ransomware attacks against critical infrastructure. Again, they're going to use the tools and they've got really advanced tools. Some of these uh, criminal groups have really advanced ransomware tools that they can deploy. And why create something new and test that? That takes a lot of energy and effort. Use the tools you have. Right. And if you're going to attack those big companies, you know, revenge hacks, or you're going to attack those critical infrastructure, 
fine, you know, infect them with ransomware and we'll demand a million dollars. And even if they pay, hey, we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it down. Win win. Right. And so we're going to we're going to see a lot of these unfortunate situations. And I've got I particularly hate ransomware because it's something we can actually solve and get rid of. And we're not. Um, you know, I've always advocated to to force or through regulation, deny the payment to cyber criminals. And I think that's something we have to revisit here again, because the payments that we're giving to ransomware, like for the Conti group, that's going to Russia. That's going to fuel the military machine of the aggressor in Ukraine. So now it isn't, oh, well, I just need to pay my million dollars to get my little corporate network up. That might be blood money. You might be able to, in a weird way, calculate, okay, what I'm giving to this ransomware uh, group is going to cost so many lives in Ukraine. What's that calculus? So I think there's a moral obligation for us to start thinking in terms of that. How are we funding the aggressors, and to what cost in human lives and suffering does that mean? You know, I've asked a lot of my guests that question about paying the ransom. And although everything you said, you know, is very impactful, you also have the business owner that if he doesn't pay it and he's out of business and all employees now, you know, don't have a job and there's not revenue coming in, it's, it's just, it's hard for, you know, I would not want to be in that position to have to make that kind of decision. You know, when the, when the colonial pipeline happened, you know, what if he wouldn't, what if they wouldn't have paid the ransom? Yeah. Um, But we can actually act now, right? Knowing that these attacks are coming, knowing that you're susceptible to ransom where everybody is, you can start putting in controls to limit that right? To manage that risk, to be able to recover better. Instead of spending that million dollars down the road to the ransomware, right? Why not invest that into better security, recovery, um, and, and a better capability to resist and respond to these types of attacks so that you don't have to pay the million dollars. We have to think about security better in a proactive way. Not, oh, no, I'm, I, you know, I've been attacked and I guess I have to pay. I guess I have to pay money to Russia so they can buy more weapons. It just doesn't make sense. Or I have to pay more, more money to this ransomware cyber criminal group so that they can invest in better tools to attack me and my colleagues again, which is what they do. We have proof of that. We have to think better. And, you know, unfortunately, given this situation, the calculus says if you're giving money to Russia, that's going into their military, right? And that could either be in Ukraine or the next potential country that they invade. That could contribute to that. So, yes, I feel bad that your company may be impacted and you may have to lay off some people until you get it fixed. But if the roles were reversed and you were that company in Ukraine, Right? You're not worried about that. You're worried about the tanks rolling down the street. And how did they get funded? Would you want the other countries 
the businesses, your counterparts in other countries to pay that ransom so that tank can be rolling down your street, that artillery shell can be landing in your apartment complex? I think the answer would be no. So, so there we, has to be empathy here. So um, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to talk about China a little mm -hmm. bit and what you're seeing, you know, from China. Cause we, you know, I personally hear more about Russia. So, um, you know, where do you see the future with Russia and China, you know, coming together if that would happen? And, and what are we currently seeing coming out of China as far as uh, nation state? There is a long and complex relationship between Russia and China. Um, both communist countries, but they were kind of different communist countries. There have been border skirmishes, you know, back in the 80s and 90s between that country, um, between those countries. Right before the conflict in Ukraine, they uh, suddenly announced fuel and food uh, trade uh, between, the between the countries. They are right now politically behind Russia, so they're an ally of Russia, but there may be cracks in that as they see the world is kind of coming together much more than anybody would have anticipated. So there may be a shifting in policy. There's also a lot of discussions about how this invasion of Ukraine could be mirrored in the future with an invasion of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So there's politics here involved, and China also has a tremendous capability not only to attack from a cyber perspective, but also be able to limit their environments, right? Uh, the Great Firewall of China, to be able to control the social narratives, to be able to block services inbound and outbound. And we're seeing more and more of that uh, being played out in Russia. Russia is taking that playbook um, and applying it to their environment now. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think we have any definitive conclusions what their position is going to be in 30 days from now. You just can't see that far into the crystal ball. But they may be continuing supporting Russia and the aggression there they may pull back and decide, no, that's, that's just not okay, um, and take a softer position. But they do have cyber capabilities. We're not seeing a tremendous uptick in their cyber capabilities, so I don't see any indicators right now that the Chinese um, national offensive cyber forces are joining with the Russian cyber forces to conduct attacks. But again, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting, scary, scary situation with uh, China. Can't it's a complex know. world. <laughs> it, it, it very much is. And we're, we're it looks like we're about three minutes until we have to wrap up here. And um, just if there's one of the tips, I you know, everything went so fast. I wanted to talk so much more. I had. Yeah, I have to have you back. But in in your 2022 cyber predictions, what is in one minute, if you can tell us, which one do you think is happening right now? I think the biggest thing is the critical infrastructure that we're starting to see attacks on the finance sector and they're holding up great. Um, we're going to see attacks on the communication sector. 
uh, internet. We've seen internet for Western. It's not just us, right? It's not just the U.S. It's the European Union and everybody in those sanctions. We're seeing attacks against um, some fuel um, uh, organizations and internet organizations and social media organizations. So we're starting to see that. I think everybody should be keeping a very close eye on the critical infrastructure that affects them. And it will be telling, there may be indicators when they see attacks in other countries happening against their critical infrastructure, you should be thinking, ah, we may be next on that list. Because there is a list. Make, make no doubts in your mind, there is and will be a continually growing target list that Russia will have and Belarus and, and supporters of the Ukraine war against Western nations and the critical infrastructure and the companies there that are taking a stand. So expect those attacks to happen. Don't panic, but expect them to happen. And it's all of us, we all have a role to play. So do what you can, stay safe, think smart, be prepared, right? Always have that good, good dose of, of preparation uh, in mind, but keep an eye out for it because we're going to see it. And there's a lot of positive things happening right now that we are protected and we're, you know, in about 30 seconds, what are some of the positive things that you're seeing with our, the protections that we have in place? Oh, there's some great things, right? Finance, I, the, the finance industry right now, they are just chugging along and they're doing a great job protecting their networks. And Russia, all indications, was not happy with the whole SWIFT decisions and, and seizing assets and everything. So the finance sector is feeling right now probably the brunt of most of the attacks. And they're doing very, very well. Um, I think, again, the energy sector, they're getting ready. Um, they're probably running 24-7 with their security operations, just waiting, waiting for this and, and looking at early indicators of attacks. We're seeing the federal governments across the board in the West know that this is coming and they are using their government resources to be able to help and try and interdict some of this. And in some cases, even trying to get inside information to be able to let these sector knows or these sectors know ahead of time, hey, you know, uh, gas refineries, we're picking stuff up in intelligence, you know, and, and we can't tell you about it, but beware, it's coming, be ready. Right? And that, so, yeah, and that's all. That. Yeah. And it's just great. That's awesome. And I would, I would love to talk to you for another hour, but we're about to be cut off. But um, go check out Matthew Ronquist. Go to his LinkedIn page. You can download those 2022 cybersecurity predict predictions. He's awesome at answering you on LinkedIn. Uh, he has been on our show several times. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being here again. He's the uh, CISO of Eclipse. Check him out. Check everything that he's been blogging about and make sure you follow him because um, he is and he is a great resource for all of us. Thanks, everyone, for joining another episode of Ant Security for All. You guys have a great um, rest of your week, weekend and stay safe, stay secure. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into Ant Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, 
You can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakim. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.